I would invite you to turn with me in your copies of God's Word to Psalm 121. Before reading of God's Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Our Lord, we bow in humility before you, acknowledging our dependence upon you for all things, for life itself. For, O Lord, you hold our life in the palm of your hands. We are at all times dependent, finite, and weak. We acknowledge as well our need for the redeeming work of our Savior. We come looking to see him in this text written so long ago, and we look to the tender work of the Spirit of our risen Savior to bring illumination and application of this text to our life. And we come, O Lord, not simply for our own sake, but that the name of our Savior would be ever exalted, worshiped, glorified. It's in his name we pray, amen. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The word of our God. You may be seated. Now in this portion of the book of Psalms from Psalm 120 to 134, we have a collection of psalms which all carry the same title, Songs of Ascents. This collection of 15 psalms was used by God's people as they traveled to the holy hill of Jerusalem for annual feast days to worship and make sacrifices to their God. Some assume that these 15 psalms were an early collection in a hymn book that would have been used for the journey ahead as families would travel together to that holy place in the city of David. These short psalms would have been ideal for instruction, for memorization, and of course for singing. They are psalms that contain foundational and fundamental truths about the nature of God. They are psalms which capture the joy and the delight of being God's covenant children. But they are also psalms which capture the struggles of this earthly life as God's people journey toward their heavenly home. And this, I think, is the contemporary relevance for us. Just as these regular annual journeys to Jerusalem helped to shape the identity of the children of Israel, causing them to be forward-looking, causing them to be God-centered and God-oriented in their thinking and in their living, so too for us, these Psalms of Ascent can really serve to help us realign our lives to an eternal perspective, a perspective that we all ought to have as God's people. And just think about this, given all of the distractions of this life, 
given all of the disappointments and heartache that we encounter, given all of the division and the disunity that we face in relationships with others, we need to be mindful every single day of our identity that this world is not our home, that we are journeying toward a city whose builder and whose maker is the living God. We are journeying toward a place that our risen Savior has prepared for us. As he himself said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. And here, I think, is a great way for us to make use of not just these Psalms of Ascent, but all of the Psalms because they instruct us on how to live with a God-centered view of reality. The Psalms help us to put on proper lenses through which to view the world, to understand our circumstances, to deal with the heartache and hardships that we face, to learn how to process the complexity of emotions that we experience. The Psalms are masterful tools to help us learn how to live as God's redeemed children. Because we are so tempted to make lives, our lives about ourselves. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Just think about how frequently you make life about you. But the Psalms help to redirect us to a Godward perspective on life. So let's consider how Psalm 121 does just that. Let's see how this Psalm offers to us comfort driving us to see the wonder of the God who protects. And let's look first this morning at the question that the psalmist raises in verse 1. The question from where does my help come? And that's our first point this morning, the psalmist's question. Now, if this were a psalm that were used for a pilgrimage to the holy hill in Jerusalem, then you can envision an ancient Israelite traveling a well-known path and yet a very dangerous path. It's a path filled with instabilities and with obstacles, a path which might lead to great injury. It's a path in which the elements of creation are unpredictable. From the heat of the sun to the cold of night, one could be put in harm's way very quickly. It's a path in which someone could be lurking just around the corner waiting to rob me, waiting to take advantage of me in some way. You might recall Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 a parable that resonated with his early audience because they understood the dangers of traveling in their world. And so this journey motif that we find in this psalm, what it does is it serves as an opportunity for the psalmist to think about life as a whole. In other words, the setting of his journey serves to help him meditate upon eternal truths that it's the transient and unpredictable nature of this life that causes him to long for something so much more, something filled with stability, something filled with eternal truths, that there is this appropriate longing to reach that destination where he can finally rest in the loving arms of his God. And notice what this question here in verse 1 assumes. Notice what the question presupposes, what the psalmist is acknowledging to be true about himself. From where does my help come? It's a confession of need. It's an acknowledgement of his own weakness and his own vulnerability. 
In other words, as I look to the hills about me, I am struck with my own finitude, with my own limitations, and this setting reveals to me how helpless I really am. It's a confession of dependence. It's a recognition that we live in a world of uncertainty, that in fact everything is beyond my ability to control. How can security be guaranteed in a world that is filled with such chaos and instability? Where is my security when people let me down and can't always be trusted? Where is my security when my own heart deceives me in its own wickedness? How can I move forward in life when I don't even know what's going to happen to me in the next moment? And I have no control over what other people might think about me, what they might say about me, and my circumstances are equally uncertain. And so don't you see how the setting of this journey serves as an opportunity to consider eternal matters? This moves the psalmist to contrast his own nature with the nature of God, that as he is struck with his own weakness, as he is faced with his own impotence, he then sees so clearly that he needs help. And what about for you? Just consider for a moment how the Lord brings circumstances into your life regularly to remind you of your own weakness, to remind you of your own finitude and your own dependence. Do you see how weak you are? Do you see how dependent you are? Or instead, are you deluded by the lie of self-sufficiency? And as the psalmist gets closer to Jerusalem, the hill that his eyes are drawn to no longer become the hills of his journey and all of the instability that they represent, but it is now the holy hill of the Lord. And it is there that he finds the answer to this question. And really what this question does, you see, is it drives him to rest in the God of comfort. And here, I think, is a great lesson that the Psalms teach us. If you're dozing off for a moment, just if you get nothing else this morning, get this. Meditate upon the nature of God that you might change. As you dwell upon the truth of who God is and His eternal, self-existent, unchanging nature, consider how the truth surrounding God's nature ought to reshape your own thinking and redirect the heart and inform your emotions. And so let's do just that this morning. Let's consider what it is about God's nature that brings the psalmist comfort. And this is our second main point this morning, the nature of God which brings comfort. And there are a number of things, even in this short psalm, about the nature of God which bring comfort to the psalmist. Look again at verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And notice here that he's acknowledging two things about God, that he is the covenant Lord and that he is the creator. First, he's the covenant Lord. And every time you're reading your English Bibles and you see the word Lord in all capitals, that's a reference to the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And it is the covenant God who has shown himself to be caring, to be faithful, to be trustworthy. He is the Lord who always walks beside us and whose presence never leaves us. On Wednesday nights, our senior hires just concluded a study in the book of Joshua. 
And a major theme in that book is the comfort that the Lord offers to His people because of the promise of His everlasting presence with them. Over and again throughout that book of Joshua, God's people are told, do not fear, do not worry, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It is the ever-present nature of God, an intimate, loving, purposeful, covenantal presence which is meant to serve God's people with this comfort and with this trust. And if the Lord's nature is unchanging, then the promises that He made to His people all the way back in Joshua are promises that we can claim for ourselves. Do you know this God? Do you know this covenant's Lord? Do you know the comfort of having His intimate presence? And the other thing that brings Him comfort here in verse 2 is the reality that God is the Creator. Not only has our God created all things out of nothing by the power of His spoken Word, but He continues to lovingly preserve all that He has made and sustain that which He has made. We read, a bit later in Psalm 124, verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And this, you see, is a call to worship the Lord because of who He is as the creator and the sustainer of all things. We might depend upon Him. We might trust Him. In the book of Job, you might recall that you read chapter after chapter of these speeches of Job and his friends, in which they question why God has brought such horrific events into the life of Job. And the speeches go on and on as these men pick apart every nuance of life, trying to uncover the nature of God, trying to discover why these horrible things are happening to their friend, trying to unravel life's mysteries. And they even go so far as to rehearse a series of questions that they would ask God given the opportunity. Now, perhaps you have had that same experience yourself, that in the midst of great trial, you find yourself rehearsing such questions. If God were to appear before me, here are the things that I would like to ask of Him. But then you might remember at the end of the book of Job, when the Lord makes His presence known, He answers Job, but His answer is not to cater to the questions that those men have answered, but rather He asks a series of questions that point to the beauty and the complexity and the majesty of the created order. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you walked the depths of the sea? Have you comprehended the expanse of the sky? Consider the wind, the rain, the light, and the darkness. Even such routine elements of life are beyond your ability to comprehend. Can you bring forth the clouds? Can you bring forth the lightning? Can you provide for the needs of the creatures of this world? Is it your understanding that enables the birds to fly? In rapid-fire succession, over 50 questions are posed to Job. You see, the carefully crafted questions of man meant to put God there on trial are all dismantled before the power of our Creator. And it is the reality of God as Creator and as Sustainer that was used of the Lord to silence Job and his friends, to push back against the presumed wisdom of man and to humble them 
And we see the proper response of Job in chapter 42. I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. My eyes have seen, and I repent in dust and ashes. Palmer Robertson, in speaking about Job, says, God is the king, and the whole world his realm for rule. By establishing that he possesses the wisdom essential for governing this vast world, the Lord shuts off the complaint of Job against the way in which he orders the circumstances of his personal life. Do you see what Robertson is saying there? As he draws this connection between the unfathomable greatness of who the Lord is as the creator of all and the wisdom that is required to maintain all that he has made, it is that, you see, that then is applied to the very personal circumstances of Job that bring him comfort. It would do our souls well, wouldn't it, to dwell upon creation itself and see how it points us to the wonder of our Creator. I love spending time with my friend Freddie Langford. He works outside, has the privilege of doing so much with the world around us in creation, and he has such a passion for the created order that God has established. When you feel discouraged or down, just take Freddie out for a cup of coffee. It's this infectious enthusiasm for the God who has made and sustains all things. And this afternoon, when we have another thunderstorm, just consider the power of God displayed there in creation. Allow the wisdom of God in creation to stir up humility within your heart. Well, what else is it about God's nature that brings the psalmist comfort? Look again at verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Here it is comfort that comes to the psalmist because the Lord is our watchful keeper. Again, it's that uncertainty of travel along the dangerous path which leads him to acknowledge that the Lord is the one who gives him stability in his steps. It is the Lord who watches over every moment of his existence. Old Testament scholar Alec Moitier put it like this, the subjective needs of the individual are met by the objective certainties of the truth. The Lord is the one who will keep me, though my emotions deceive me into believing that I am alone. The Lord is the one who will give stability to my steps, though it might seem as though the ground beneath me is unraveling. The Lord is the one who is always with me and who will never slumber or sleep. Imagine new parents bringing home their firstborn child, holding him in wonder at this precious gift from the Lord, amazed at the frailty of this little one staring at him for hours upon end with love and with delight. But even the watchful and tender eyes of a parent have their limits. Eventually, they must rest. They can't sustain the life of their child when he cries. It's just a guessing game to try to figure out why. No matter how great their love, no matter how great their concern, they are still weak. And as you contrast that with the watchful eye of our Heavenly Father, 
who never slumbers, who never dozes even for a moment, who sees into the deep recesses of our hearts, and who keeps you in everlasting protection and care. You might recall in 1 Kings 18, when the prophet Elijah is on Mount Carmel having that showdown with the 450 prophets of Baal. It's a simple test of power which really caters to the abilities of that God Baal. Prepare a sacrifice and have your God, the God of the storm, send down fire from heaven. And so the prophets of Baal begin to call out to their God. They cry to Him louder and louder. They cut themselves with knives so that the blood flows, trying to compel Him to come and answer their requests. Elijah mocks them, cry louder. Perhaps he is thinking. Perhaps he is relieving himself. Maybe he's on a journey where he's sleeping and he needs to be roused. But the psalmist says, this is not our God. He never ceases for a single moment to be with you. He has no need of rest. You are never outside of his watchful care. You are a dear child of the living God. And so while trials and hardships might come in life, and certainly we are not immune to such things just because we belong to the Lord, and in the ultimate sense, nothing can happen to us. Our status as a child of God can never change. Our eternal souls are secure in Him. Our destiny is fixed. We are in the loving hands of the God of the universe, and nothing can take us from Him. We heard that this morning from our assurance of pardon in John chapter 10, those words of Jesus, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one, nothing can snatch them from my hands. Do you know this comfort? Do you know this God who is the watchful keeper? And so he is our covenant Lord. He is our creator and our sustainer. He is our watchful keeper, but he's even more as the psalmist dwells in verses 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Comfort from the Lord who is our companion and protector. He is the shade on our right hand. He is the one who covers us with His divine arm of protection and care and love. He is our shield and He is our defender. His presence is one of security and safety. Psalm 46 reads, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 91, He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3 reads, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Isaiah 41, 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so the sun here in verse 6 becomes a metaphor for all the things of this life that could do us harm. John Calvin says that the psalmist is covering the full spectrum of trials that we might face in life, from the extreme heat of the sun 
to the extreme cold of the desert climate, the Lord is our only stable hope. And so as we acknowledge that our lives are in the hands of this tender Lord who is our faithful protector, the Lord begins to work this comfort within the lives of His people. And speaking of the comfort of God's absolute control, Richard Gaffin puts it like this, regarding theological issues, the Reformed faith stands alone in its commitment to the absolute, all-controlling decree of God. There is not one thing that happens in history that is not according to the predeterminate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Isn't that wondrous? What a comfort. He is the sovereign Lord over all. Our great conviction and our great comfort is that His care for His people is unwavering in His love. His watch over us is comprehensive. He meets all of our needs, for He alone knows what those needs really are. And so He's our covenant Lord. He's our creator and our sustainer. He is our watchful keeper. He is our companion and protector. But there's still more. Verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Here the psalmist finds comfort in the God who keeps and preserves. And it's a keeping and it's a preserving for all of eternity. Derek Hidner says, to be kept from all evil does not imply a cushioned life, but a well-informed life. And we are well-armed and well-informed because we are delivered from evil because of the work of our Savior. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, because of the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ over death, we have nothing to fear Even that greatest enemy, death itself, has been defeated in the resurrection of our Savior. And because it has been defeated, there is no fear, not only no fear in death, but no fear in life, because we are kept from all evil. And just as the sun by day and the moon by night covers the full spectrum of the circumstances that we might face in life, we see the same type of thinking here, that you're going out and you're coming in covers the whole spectrum of all that we might experience from whatever struggle that we might be enduring to the very end of our earthly days and on into eternity. He is the one who keeps. He is the one who works His persevering grace in our lives. Now, did you notice that in this psalm, there's great frequency which with, with which the psalmist speaks of the keeping nature of God? Six times in this short psalm, we are told that the Lord keeps His people. And this is not a passive type of keeping, like I put my car keys in my pocket in order to keep them there. But rather, the Lord is actively guarding, always standing over His people to preserve and guard them from danger as a shepherd keeps tender watch over his sheep. Listen to what we read in Psalm 40 verse 10, a little bit after the text that Jim read from this morning, behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. 
He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And notice that here in these verses, we read of this amazing combination of the power of our Lord and the tenderness of our God, that it is the arm of the Lord that rules over all of creation, that He holds the nations of the world in the palm of His hand, that all peoples of this world are like a drop in the bucket. They are like dust on the scales. His authority and power is absolute. And with that same arm that He rules with such might, He brings closely to Him His children as a shepherd draws his sheep in an unbreakable bond. And so our fears can be calmed as we meditate upon who our Lord is and what He has done to secure our redemption. What great comfort to rid ourselves of anxiety and fear and worry than to dwell upon this one who sustains, one whose power is infinite and unlimited, one who never tires of watching over his children for their safety. So what should our response be to a psalm like this? Well, that's our third main point this morning. Consider your own heart and how this psalm lays bare before you the ways in which you perhaps fail to trust in the Lord. Consider where you need to move away from self-reliance and meditate upon the greatness of God. John Calvin says this, that the thoughts of the godly are never so stayed upon the Word of God as not to be carried away at the first impulse to some allurements, and especially when dangers disquiet us or when we are assailed with sore temptations, it is scarcely possible for us from our being so inclined to the earth, not to be moved by the enticements presented to us until our minds put a bridle upon themselves and turn them back to God. And what Calvin is saying here is he notes that even as God's people, even among those who are the most mature and godly among us, that we are easily lured away from our God because of the enticements of this world. The pleasures that this world offers pull us so quickly away from Him. It might seem as though we're going along in life just fine, but then some danger creeps in, some temptation presents itself, and we are quickly led astray. And so what do we need? Well, the pastoral counsel that Calvin offers is this, that we need to rein our minds in and fix them upon our God. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, we might say, yes, this psalmist speaks with such confidence, such trust, such comfort that he derives from the unchanging nature of the Lord, and I would love to have such a response as this in my life. But this is a man that wrote under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I mean, doesn't that put him in a different category than me? I would like to know such promises for myself, but they seem so far removed. Well, looking at verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the amazing assurance that we have, that He will watch over all of my days in this life, 
that he is the one by his grace who will guard and protect me forever. And so how do I know this comfort for my own? We'll turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 8. Hear these familiar words from the Apostle Paul, beginning in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The certainty that we have of God's faithfulness is seen in the sending of His Son to die as an atoning sacrifice for sins, that we are kept from all harm for all of eternity because of the work of our risen Savior, that if we are pardoned of all of our sins through the Lord Jesus, then surely He will not leave us alone now. Nothing in creation will stand in His way. No adversary can overtake His people. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Our comfort is that the God of promise will never forget, that He will never forsake us, that He will never leave us, but will keep us from this time forth and forevermore. Robert Godfrey points out that this psalm focuses much more on the successful outcome of the journey than on the dangers of the journey. And may that be true of our lives as well. As much as the hills might be filled with uncertainty, as much as the path before us might be filled with obstacles, the psalmist's focus is not upon those things, but it is upon the certainty of his destination. Because when the outcome is already assured, then you do not need to focus upon the dangers of that journey. As we close, hear these words from the end of the book of Jude, who perhaps had this psalm in mind. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And God's people said, amen.